Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Romans chapter 6 and Romans chapter 7 as we get things started today. The last week I've had the opportunity to um, get away for a few days and to get started. Thank you guys. Uh, to get started and uh, really focused on uh, some things going on here and, and at the church and also to get away in time of, of prayer and, and study. And so this morning, uh, kind of based on that, I hope you're ready to read your Bible because we're going to read a lot of Bible today. Is everybody all right with that? I mean, if, if you're not, don't say it out loud. It's the wrong, wrong venue for that. Uh, as we're here together. Uh, <clears throat> it's been interesting. At, in January, I, I wrote down, going through Romans, that, that this is where I thought we would be in Romans chapter 7. And as, as I studied, I couldn't figure out how to talk about Romans chapter 7 without Romans chapter 6. And I couldn't figure out how to talk with Romans chapter 6 without Romans chapter 8. So we're going to be in chapter 6, 7, and 8 today. All right? So we're going to be all over the place. We're going to read a lot of scriptures that comes together and comes in. As we do that, I want to tell you a little story as things get started. This week, I was able to spend a few days in San Antonio uh, as I, I got away and was walking down the river walk one morning, and I saw uh, two men. The, the first man had a shirt that was said True Religion on the front, and, and that's, a, that's a clothing brand called True Religion. And uh, I thought, I wonder what people think when they see that shirt. Everybody's not like me. I Google everything I don't know. So if anything I ever say isn't accurate, it's probably not from Scripture. It's from Google. Um, but I was reading this out and read from the founder when they said, how did you name your clothing line? And this was his answer. He said, there are many religions in the world, but there's only one real religion. And he said, and that's people and people wear jeans. What an interesting thought. When, when I see true religion, I may think one thing. But in this person's mind, it means something completely different. We're using the same vocabulary. Another man was walking down the river walk and <clears throat> was, was going from point A to point B. And this man um, just is walking. His head is down. And he says, God, why can't I talk to you? Out loud. And that makes you do one of two things. It's either evangelism opportunity or people ran away. It was fun to watch. But, but in the same moment... We have two men who I don't know anything about them at all. And I don't know their history. I don't know what true, apparently true religion brand. They have a special style of stitching on jeans and things. It's read all about it. I can tell you more about it lately, later on. But, but in the midst of things, you have two different people. Both obviously engaged in religion-ish of some sort. Whether through worshiping self, which is very easy to do. Or or. Not knowing why you can't communicate with the creator. I thought it's easy to get confused in the dark, isn't it? And I've told some of you this story. It was happened about four years ago. <clears throat> Lawyer Jolly and I went on a mission trip to Kenya. And I wore this shirt to remind me because our luggage got lost. And at 10 o'clock at night, in the pitch of night, we're, we're riding with a man we have never met before. Um, and we're staying at his house. Uh, and, and he's going to take us to get clothes. And to take us to get clothes, we're in this town. Small in our area, big would be in their area. And, and he decides you just jump the curb. And so it's pitch black. I'm already out of my sorts praying that this is the holy man of God. I've heard that he was, not knowing what's going to happen. And we jump the curb, and, and we're in a four, forerunner. And the forerunner bottoms out on the curb, and no wheels are touching the ground. 
And I think, Lord, I'm confessing I'm anxious. I've not been to Kenya before. I look like a tourist. If I get stuck in downtown Houston at night, I get a little anxious. Amen? And I'm thinking, what, what's going on? And so we figure it out. I don't know what happens. I don't remember. I've blocked part of it out of my vision. But, but he gets out. We do something. We get the car over. We make it into the store, and, and we buy clothing. And then we're going to his house, and it's pitch black. And we're going up this hill, and it's dark, and it's jungle-looking. I mean, it is. It feels like we have just entered into this dense, this dense area of trees and vines. It was just really strange. And we're going up the hill, and I remember looking at a lawyer saying, Man, I pray that the Lord knows what he's doing. Like, we're, we're worried. And we get to the top of the hill, and the car runs out of gas. Not a joke. So he turns the wheel and we start coasting back towards the city we just left. And I'm thinking, Lord, I don't want to run out of gas. My first night in a foreign country in an area I don't know looking like a tourist. And so we roll all the way down the hill. And do you know that the Lord allowed the car to roll all the way down to a gas station? And we stopped in a gas station. God, you're so amazing. So then we fill up and we go back to the scary place. And we're at the top of the hill, and we turn in. We come into, he pulls into his house. Instead of um, a fence, he has a thorny bush has created a fence for his house. And so we go in, and we sleep, and we wake up the next morning. And I'm, I'm interested to see what this place looks like. And I go outside, and do you know what? We're in the suburbs. The vines were people's hedges. The trees were beautiful. People were really nice. Isn't that amazing? But when I don't know what I don't know, and I'm trying to interpret what I can't see, it's confusing. It's scary. Church, religion is like that. Christianity is like that. I, I, I'm becoming more and more convinced that we are trying to interpret life in Christ without seeing what life in Christ is or how it came to be clearly. I think there's a possibility that our histories in church or church is or the way that we did or didn't grow up around the word or how we interpret it or how we let other people interpret it for us has created possibly this dark, dense fog that, that we have lived in so we are familiar with so we feel like we understand what is going on and how the Christian life is supposed to be lived when quite honestly it may not look anything like that at all. And I, I'm talking to you if you're like me, especially if you have grown up in or around church for years and years and years. I feel like maybe there's a possibility that some in this room who have grown up in a Christianity that's in the dark and we've been interpreting hedges as forests. And interpreting safe things and the great things of God very differently than they are. And, and that's what Romans chapter 6 talks about. Because when we're in a fog, we wrestle with things. And it's amazing, as strong as we want to be, it's amazing how, how strength fails us. 
Paul talks about to this church in Rome in chapter 7, verse 14. We are jumping all over the place, so get ready with me. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 through 25. Paul gives this a dialogue that really sets and frames in what living or trying to live in Christ can feel like at times and how it's not supposed to be this way. This is so good. The Bible says this, <clears throat> chapter 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I don't understand my own actions. I, I, don't, I do not do what I want, but the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that, that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin who dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what's right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil that I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do... What I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to a law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind. But with my flesh I serve the law of sin. That sounds like a dark place. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been at a point where you wanted to do what was right? You wanted to follow the love and the joy and the power and the strength of God. But, but it almost seemed like in that moment that the wooing of sin was so strong... That you found yourself doing the opposite of what you wanted to do. Have you ever had an addiction? And, and it, can, it can be one that was very public or it can be one that's very private. An addiction is just something that has dominion over you with which you can't imagine yourself doing without in that moment. Or you feel like you are a slave to it, right? Have you ever had that? Have you ever had a habit that you just couldn't overcome? You wanted to overcome it. You wanted to break it, but it just felt like every time you were doing well, something happened and you fell back in. If you've never had that happen in your life, I would tell you to think back on your life a little bit more. If you think, Pastor, I feel like that's my life a lot, you're not alone. You see, there's a war that's been waged on us. And, and this war is one that we joyfully stepped into. This is one we all joyfully welcomed ourselves into. And it's this battle, this idea of how sin wages war in our life. And in, in fact, Scripture shows us that we become this slave to sin with these struggles. And we will try and try and try to do things to overcome it, to do something to overcome it. And yet we keep falling back in. And we have to ask ourselves, is this the life that Christ died for me to have? Is this the life where Christ reigns? Where I can say, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, my Lord. Is this what it's going to be like from now on for the rest of my days? 
I don't believe the answer to that is yes. You see, I've grown up in church. I know the word justified, sanctified, and glorified. I could even say it with a preacher tone, if need be, on demand. Right? And I love sanctifying because it's the process of of purifying me. But I feel like there's a possibility that you and I have bought into a misunderstanding of what God has prepared for us and given us in Christ Jesus in thinking that the process of sanctification is one part of a long cycle. And over time, that really dirty, 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 dirty grime that we struggle with will come off. I I don't know that scripturally that's what God says about sanctification. In fact, I I think God has planned much, much more for us. But we've gotten so used to living in the dark that a life that is 65% pure and 35% sin feels like we're winning. See, There's only one path out of that thinking. There's only one way out of it. If Jesus Christ said, be holy for I am holy. Is that just him being funny? Or does he mean for us to be holy? Would Christ call us to something that he wouldn't be sufficient to allow us to be? That doesn't sound like our Lord. Yet why then God do I struggle with sin? Now this is important. Today, we're going to be talking about sin reigning in your life. And that is different than stumbling over a sin and repenting and getting back up. All right? In Galatians, Paul talks a lot about when a brother's in trespass and he repents, restore him with gentleness. Right? We put him back in. The sin that's talked about in Romans is sin reigning ruling in our life. And that's the sin we need to talk about because that type of idea that there is a sin that reigns in your life that will always have control over you no matter what is not true religion. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, the only way out is Jesus. But if, if you and I are going to know how Jesus leads us out of a life of sin reigning in us, then we have to understand two concepts that Jesus gives with us, right? And I'll write them like this. The first is sin. And that's where we stand. The second is the law. And the last one is a holy God. And we'll look at that as the Bible talks about Jesus. It's, it's these three parts of our story that you and I have to understand. Oh, we're playing the, the game of, of life like, like we're set up to lose. As if it's a, a piece of, of our, our, our normal, so to speak, failure life, hoping we win every now and then. God hasn't called us to be a section of our life. He's called us to understand it so that we can have life in him forever and overcome sin with him, through him, so that we can taste freedom. Don't you believe that that freedom is attractive? Do you believe that? Do you believe that life is attractive? Do Do you believe that holiness Victory is attractive. 
in my, I'm telling you, that's what heaven's going to feel like. And so you and I, Christ has laid it before us. And he's allowed us to enter into it through him. But we have to understand what God's definition of that is and how it might be very different than any of the things that you and I have thought in our life. So to understand the path forward, we have to understand Jesus, the law, and sin. So let's go back and let's look at sin. Chapter 6, verse 12 through 16. If you have your Bible, read along with me. Romans chapter 6, verse 12 through 14. Let's look at, at sin. It says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make, it, make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members of God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but you are under grace. Here's what I want you to understand about sin as a Christian. This is really important. For you as a Christian, sin is always a choice. It's not your master. Sin is always a choice. It's never your master. You see, what, what sin means is, is missing the mark. Right? In its most basic terms, it just means that we, we miss the mark. We'll, we'll catch this. What Christianity says is, is Christ is the one holding the bow and shooting the arrow. So, so sin means that we have chosen to try to take the bow and arrow back from Christ. Galatians chapter 2 verse 20. This is how we know this is true, right? It's no longer I who live. This life I live, I live by faith in the one who gave himself for me. Jesus Christ for a Christian is living in you. This means that you are not a slave to sin. If Christ is not living in you, there is no way to please a holy God. No matter how many good things that you do, no matter how, how many things in your life that you want to do for him, you can't. Your body is an instrument of unrighteousness. Your, your, your body is an instrument of that true religion, that self-serving religion. That was proclaimed. That says, I'm going to try this. I'm going to do this. Note to self, as long as you are doing what is right in your own eyes, you cannot be an instrument for the hands of the Almighty God. You will always be an instrument for unrighteousness. In fact, the Pharisees who claimed to be religious, who claimed to do good things, Jesus said they made people twice as much a son of hell as they were. Because when we do what is man worship and we attach it to God's name, we deceive people into thinking that that is religion. Church, that is not. Jesus says that is a path to hell and to death. And where unrighteousness ends, if you and I serve unrighteousness, if you don't have Christ living in you, there is no other direction that you will go on other than death. Christian, if you and I choose sin, it will lead where instruments of sin lead. It leads to death. In Jesus Christ, you may have life. 
but as his child in his discipline. When you and I choose sin, it feels like death when we're finished, doesn't it? In fact, it may feel like death before we're finished with it. But I want you to understand, as strong as the draw and the wooing of sin is, it is not compulsory. You see, because when Jesus Christ died for your sins, he was perfect. So for a Christian, sin is not compulsory. There is, there is no reason, there is no reason for you to think in 30 seconds, in 10 minutes, tomorrow, I have to sin because I'm human. No, you're, you have Christ living in you. So when we choose sin, we have to say, is this sin reigning in me? Which means I haven't given Christ his spot. Or Christ, have I stumbled? Must I confess so that you can make me stronger? So when Paul says, confess your James, says, confess your sins one to another. You see, sin is not compulsory because it's not a master. It's your choice. So you have to understand, in Christ Jesus, sin is a choice. Outside of Christ Jesus, sin is your master. So that's sin. Let's look what Scripture says about the law. Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 10. This is what the Bible says. Or do you not know, brothers... For I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For if a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. For if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ. So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear the fruit for God. Verse 5, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work. In our members to bear the fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. So that we serve in a new way, in the, in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way. You see, I don't know if you've got this, this relationship that we, we start to develop between the law and sin. See, what Scripture says is that the law was given to everyone as a revelator, not as a rescuer. The law was given to everyone as a revelator, not as a rescuer. Paul says in Galatians chapter 3, So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we may just be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. You see, what the, the job of the law was, was to make it obvious that there is separation between sinful man and a holy God. That's the point. Very simply, have you ever tried to play a game that you didn't understand before? When I was coaching my kids when they were toddlers in soccer... And in, in football, and we did a little bit of everything growing up, swimming. So I remember Ashley's first swim meet as a child. She was supposed to swim from one side of the pool to the other side of the pool. It's very simple, right? Well, she got in, and she swam. And then she stopped, and she held onto the rope. And then she realized something. She could progress on the rope pretty quick. 
So she did that for a little bit, and then she swam. The kid next to her, it was great. He was swimming with one hand and pulling on the rope with the other hand. It was amazing. It was so good. When they got to the end, do you know what everybody did? Woohoo! You know what the judges did? You're disqualified, you're disqualified, you're disqualified. They were blissfully ignorant. They had made it to the other side. They didn't know the rules, so they were happy and disqualified. But they were happy. You see, what the law does is it makes evident where we've broken it. Where we've fallen short. It makes it obvious, here is the standard of God. And so now in your life, it will reveal to you that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's the job of the law. God gave us the law to show us what God's standard was and is, while at the same time giving us a law that had no power to help you or I reach that standard. This is the job of the law. That's where the swim meet thing breaks down. Once you tell the kids you can't do that. Well, now they have the knowledge to go forward. What the law shows us is, here's the holy standard of what it means to be right in right relationship with God. And all you and I can do when we look at the law, if the law rules over us, is realize that I have fallen short. I am broken. Almost like you've been walking around in the dark thinking that everything was fine and the black light turns on and shows all the speckles on your life. See, the law wasn't given to save us. It was given to show us God's standard. So if you are living on this side of the equation or even trying in Christ to live on that side of the equation, let me tell you on the front end, then sin is winning. Because it's ruling your life because the law shows you and I that we are separated from God. And there's nothing you can do about it. There's no shortcuts. There's no way around it. And that's the best news ever because it means it's not dependent on us. So either this is the bleakest picture ever or it's the dark before the dawn. Romans chapter 6, verse 1. Listen to what the Bible says about Christ. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ, who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a, re a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Hmm. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For now we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death, he died to sin. For death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you and I must consider ourselves dead to sin and alive in God, in Christ Jesus. You see, Christ is not simply God in the flesh. I don't know if there's enough words to describe it. He is God in the flesh. But he is the conquering king, not just an example for how you and I should live life. See, I I think this is confusing because this is what Romans chapter 6 says. It says that Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law and therefore overcame sin and was able to be reunited through death to life with the holy God forever. You see, this is what Christ has done. And and you and I need to understand that Christ alone was able to fulfill the law. He was the only one that was able to see God's standard because he was God in the flesh and perfectly live to satisfy it and therefore have a right, right relationship with God. And the Bible says this. If we know that Jesus Christ is the conqueror, if we know that law is the standard that shows distance, and we know that sin is the the pool that we dwell in, and the law makes it evident that we belong here, then we have to understand either there is a relationship between Jesus Christ and sinful man or Jesus Christ was simply an example and another way of God revealing the law saying he did it, none of you can, you all deserve to go to hell. The scripture would say that the second option is not real. But I believe that many in this room are living like Jesus Christ is simply the ultimate example for how to live life instead of yielding to him as the conquering king who through his death swoops you up in his name and he overcomes sin and the law for you. See, you see, we have to know that when we realize, when we lean into that, we start to live. You see, Scripture shows us that there's a a relationship. That this matters in our life because sin is at work in your life through the law. What the law did is it showed you God's standard. And here's how sin works in your life. Sin, Scripture tells us, sees an opportunity, chapter 7. It sees an opportunity, gets enticed, verse 11, by the commandment. and, And it says, oh, I bet I can do that. I bet I can be holy and faithful to the one true God of my own. I bet I can honor my father and mother out of my own strength. I I bet that I can fulfill not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole law. Here's how we do it. Or maybe sin works like it does in the Garden of Eden when the first law was given. The first law in Scripture 
said, don't eat the tree in the garden in the middle. The knowledge you eat of anything else you want. Just that one don't. The first law. What happens with Adam and Eve? As soon as they hear that, Eve says, man, that looks like good fruit. Well, I bet so. The serpent says, take a bite. It won't hurt you. She takes a bite. She gives it to her husband. He's glad to take a bite with her. You see, when sin sees the standard of God, it rules, it draws you towards rebellion that says, I can do this my way. I I can satisfy this commandment. I can interpret God's word. I can do this. I can show you, God, there's a different angle at this one, and you and I will be good, and I can do it my way. You see, that's sin reigning. Sin is stoking you. And guess what happens? When you taste that fruit, when you embrace that sin, that taste of death, do you know what sin does? It says, you are worthless trash. How many times have you opened God's word and found no power there? You are rightly judged. You should doubt your salvation. You should doubt your heart. In fact, you should doubt your, your, your desire or even God's desire for you to be in his holy presence. Don't even try. Your past is too full. Your ledger is too red. So you stay away from that holy God because he is going to destroy you. You see, this is what sin does. It woos you into believing that you can satisfy a holy God out of your fallen sinful strength. And then it condemns you for trying. And outside of Jesus Christ, this is the world that you have and there's nothing else. Inside of Jesus Christ, this is a choice. This is a choice that you can choose to drop down and hold tightly to your Jesus. Hold tightly to your Lord. Because he's already overcome it. See, the Bible says that Jesus fulfilled the law. This is the relationship. This is how it works. We have no way out. But Jesus fulfilled the law. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. You see, what, what Christ has done is he didn't say the law was worthless. He, why would he say the standard of God is worthless? It doesn't make sense. He says the standard of God is perfect and I fulfilled it so that you have a way to be through him. Because on your own you can't fulfill the law of God. And no longer does it reign over you. No longer is it your cap. Because in Christ Jesus I have fulfilled it and made one way. One way to a victorious life. One way. Not, not serving the law but not around the law. But through the law, because Christ perfectly fulfilled it. There was nothing wrong with the law. What was wrong with the law is if you and I see is as a deity that we try to please. That's, that's when sin makes the law evil. But the rule and the word and the law of God is good. And it's great because Christ Jesus in relationship for us and with us made the only path forward. Not so that you and I could wrestle with sin every day. 
The Bible says that, that your old life in the flesh has been crucified with Christ. It says that your life has been hung on the cross outside the city. To wrestle with sin is, is you and I in Christ Jesus intentionally walking out the city and playing with a corpse. Christ isn't going to join you there because he's opened the city gates and said, why, why would you stay there? That's where I freed you. You were dead. Remember, I died on the cross and you died with me. See, you and I have been given a life of victory. I think somewhere along the way, we believe that this was simply for one day. I'm telling you, it's for today. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say for those who are trying to please Christ Jesus. It doesn't say for those who are trying to fulfill the law. It's saying for those that are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done by what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled. Scripture goes on to tell us to live according to the Spirit. You see, Christ provided the only way forward. But it wasn't just for one salvation moment when you were eight at kids camp. Christ provided victory for you to live in him forever. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. That we may have been deceived into thinking that we are living a battle where the scoreboard always looks like we're behind. But don't worry, the last chapter, we know how it ends, we win. Have you ever heard something like that? That's not scripture. That's not the Bible. What the Bible says is, in Christ Jesus, the day you give him your life to reign and rule, you are his slave forevermore, you are winning. The only way to, lo to lose is to play for the other team on purpose. And then you wonder why you're losing so bad. It's because you're playing against Christ. And you don't have to. In Christ Jesus, we have all that we need for a life of godliness. In Christ Jesus, we have all we need to live victoriously. In Christ Jesus, we have all of those things Talking about Christ and claiming Christ and living in my sin is not living in Christ. That's living in sin and deceiving yourself. Church, what's going to build community is understanding not that we win. But that Christ has already won for us. So should we live in a way that bring God's glory to a standard? Absolutely. Because Christ is doing that in you. Not because you're afraid or not trying, you're trying to show him you changed. But because you have the freedom not to lose. You have the freedom to live in Christ. 
to let his word define you, to let his, his bride surround you, to let his spirit indwell you. Here's the kicker. We may have just had more practice at living in the rule of sin than we have in relationship building with our Savior, and so one still feels easier than the other. That may be true, but that is not God's plan for you. So this morning, what do you see in your life? Do you understand that sinful man cannot fulfill the law of God? And that Jesus Christ, making a way for you, has already done all the work, and you have died with him. Pastor, what if I sin? What if I stumble? Well, the Bible says, confess, repent, turn around. Sin says, be quiet, be ashamed, turn away. Now, Jesus says, when you fall, make sure there's other people to restore you. Repent, turn around, drop your offering. God knows God knows that you will choose sin outside of him at time to time. That's not what he died for, but he even made provision for that. But make sure that that's a stumble and not a lifestyle so that you know that it's Christ reigning in you. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning we come to you looking at scripture and just seeing very honestly that what Paul said in the beginning that, that I, I know what to do and then I do what I don't want to do or I want to do what's right and then I feel right there that sin is drawing with me. God, we know in this world that no matter where we are, sin will be struggling for us. Sin will be trying to attack or to stumble us. Sin will be there. Lord, we know that it will be right there with us. But Lord, you have saved us. And this morning, God, I, I rebuke false teaching. That sin is just something that I have to do until I get to heaven. Lord, and I own the fact that sin is something I choose to do if I'm in you. So, Father God, in this room this morning, Father, if there are men and women that have been stumbling in sin and claiming Christ... Lord, would you let their confession ring to you in prayer this morning? They don't need to confess to me. Would you let them confess to you? And to repent and turn and live in your reign and your victory. Father God, if there are men and women in this room that have thought they've been living for you and interpreting your religion as their true religion, God, and, and mixing it together, Lord, would this morning, would you show them that they are living bound by sin? And their unrighteousness will just lead them apart from you. Father God, would you show them that through your son, Jesus Christ, you have made a way to life to the full, to redemption, to victory. And the grave no longer has a grip on them. Sin no longer has its hold on them. Would you be their freedom? In Jesus' name, amen.